That's well presents Chords. Today's guest is Mark Pucci Isaac, a support worker from the flood affected areas of the Northern Rivers, who also found himself front and center of the flood rescue and relief effort in my adopted hometown of Wardell and surrounds. Uh, and then this is where it gets interesting. Uh, once the initial burst of goodwill died out, Pucci and, and a crew of local volunteers, just local heroes, uh, they started up something called Wardell Core, which stands for Community Organized Resilience, Resilience Effort. Effort. Yes, That's right. That. And uh, it's basically a volunteer-run organization that, you know, it kind of, in my mind, began to create the blueprint for a, a brave new world, a new future, um, you know, talking workers, cooperatives, uh, you know, just a community-run grassroots movement that really, if applied in any kind of uh, statewide or, or, or national framework, really has the power to undermine the current system, which needs to be undermined, uh, in my opinion. I think it, it's failing people uh, terribly and the planet. Um so yeah, I spent a bit of time down there mucking in uh, with the rest of the volunteers, but but nowhere near enough. Oh, you did your best, mate. It was good <laughs> to see you there. Yeah, because uh, I guess, you know, as most people quickly realised, myself included, there just simply wasn't enough time in the day to, to, to work, to get your shopping and life admin in, mm. uh, to go surfing, socialise. So it just kind of fell by the wayside. It was the first thing to go. Mm. It was uh, the volunteer time that you uh, put aside. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess some of the things that we kind of realised from that project is, you know, just what is capable when... Community. Yeah, community, what it's what it's capable of yeah um when you get say 20 tradesmen and laborers together totally the amount that you can accomplish in the space of an hour let alone a day or three days it's remarkable like it it's crazy like you it's can really... you know if you were to accumulate that kind of workforce um over the course of three or four days like farming you'd yeah like you'd, we like to. you'd have a farm yeah. you have you have the framework for a, a systems you yeah. have a, the framework for a pumping permaculture uh, farm and you know shelter and then, and then you're a, a long a long part of the, the journey towards you know creating a, a lifestyle that's outside of the the corporate capitalist consumer model so mm. anyway these will be some of the things we'll be talking about and I think it's just important to just really nail this moment in time and nail the ideas that came out of this project because they were really uh, optimistic, they, they were really inspiring and uh, it just showed what was possible. But uh, mate, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jed. Good to be here, brother. It's always nice to see your face in between the surfs and the fields. We're chasing it. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and cannot forget to mention lord bags is your your new project uh, it's your side hustle alongside the support work that you do it and is. Uh, the volunteer work that you do multi-purposeful cosmic contraption helping you uh you know keep those wetties less sandy and trashed and have them in a little briefcase so you know those south coast missions that everyone loves to go on like we did not too long ago you know carrying a wetty on the tracks so when it's muddy and slippery and you know, what do you need? 
a bit of a man bag and that's what the Lord bags is, helping yeah. the crew to provide something that is, yeah, essentially going to create your wetsuit to last longer and be less filled with sand and grit. <laughs> it's uh, it's upcycled board bags, right? It is. It is. In Byron Bay. Made in Byron made Bay. Made in Byron. Repurposed into cool. this all-purpose, all-terrain, mad Lord sack. But yes. uh, Sit your dog in it. Put your cold beers in it. <laughs> pick up the trash and let it be. Mental. Interesting that you mentioned the South Coast. Uh, we did a little hit down there recently, but that's actually where you're from, right? Correct, yeah. From the Gong originally. And um, before that, uh, born and raised in Camden, bit of a country little town, but good to uh, enjoy those times in my younger years and slowly filter to the coast and have um, that door open for, yeah, being immersed into the realms of waves and crew that are just tapping into what they love and that's like music and arts and crafts and, yeah, just all around creating fun times. Okay, so let's go back to Camden. You're uh, you're there with your your mum and dad. Yeah, and brother. born and raised with my yeah family there, and um, yeah, we actually had a nice home all together just out the back of Camden there for a few years, and um, yeah, it was a cool place to go up. Like you know, just classic national park on the on the side of a house, so plenty of bush tracks on the bikes, and you know, riffing around and. Not much surfing in those days, um, but it was funny. One of my brother's friends, he liked to boog and we would only go booging or he would only be keen to make the drive if it was pretty solid, you know. So most of my first surfing adventures were just to, you know, places like the farm before you could even park down the bottom. And I remember running down one day and it was as big as I'd booged a beachy and got put in my place, but it was pretty nice and vulnerable to be with my brother and his mate and eventually you know found myself feeling comfortable in those moments which is pretty empowering when you have crew that make it fun and enjoyable even when it is a bit scary or you know intense <laughs> and what kind of a household was it that you grew up in well yeah my mom was actually pretty christian um orientated so you know the classic sunday church with the fam every sunday christmas easter all that so um yeah, it was an interesting dynamic to be brought up in. But, um, yeah, you know, my dad was, like, on the fence with it and would open the gate to, you know, let us go and roam and experience the eternal life experiences that are out there, you know, without trying to stop us from experiencing stuff that might be, you know, a bit dangerous or, you know, erratic. <laughs> so, you know, Gogi was always into getting the bikes out and so we got into motos before the surf and... That sort of thing was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I grew up kind of the same way. Uh, I mean, not in my immediate family, but yeah, my grandparents, you know, super Catholic from central New South Wales, mm. uh, spent a lot of time out, out there during the Christmas holidays, school holidays, a lot of church, uh, very conservative, you know, yes. like uh, even like drinking alcohol was, was almost sin. considered taboo. <laughs> yeah, um, a bit of a sin. <laughs> yeah, you know, and... Uh, doing, you know, smoking pot and plant medicines, these things were wildly out of bounds. That said, you know, my grandma's fully into CBD oil, into the, the swelling Amazing. CBD oil. Swelling. How good is it? <laughs> Converting them. Yeah, I even man. gave my mum actually a bit of CBD for the first time not long ago and she enjoyed it. It was cool to open that door for her, you know, because she had a bit of pain going on. And I said, well, you know, this is plant like medicine. This is from... God, if he's provided this plant for us, then why don't we all enjoy it together? And mm. like anything, all in moderation. <laughs> and interestingly, the, you know, 
Christianity obviously has its flaws and uh, Catholicism and all the rest of it. But, you know, that said, I, I still look at uh, a lot of the teachings of, of Jesus still totally carry on through my life and, and through the fabric of who I am. Um, mm. You know, there's first and foremost, I guess, is just a sense of tr- trying to have a sense of compassion for, for people who are less fortunate than you. That's it, eh? And, um, you know, there's, there's some fundamental teachings that come out of Christianity that I'm, I'm, I'm totally sweet with. And I think, um, you know, Christ consciousness, Buddha nature, whatever you call it, uh, it's, it's best discovered uh, on, your, on your own, like through meditation, through prayer, Practice. through plant medicines. Mm. You know, it all takes you to the mm. same place, really. It does. Uh, and I've been to that place through all of those different avenues. Um, but uh, so I guess like that def- I can definitely see in your lifestyle that, you know, the teachings of, of Christ and, and that early period of your life definitely still emanate. Yeah, you- for sure. Yeah. It's like ingrained into who I am today. And essentially, you know, like any of us, like how we're raised and my mom would always say, you know, like the people we hang around with are essentially the people we'll become, you know. So when you like hang around with people that love you on surfing, you're going to start going surfing, you know, or people that love growing food, you start loving growing food and, you know, music, arts, all that. It's just part of, yeah, this existence of connecting with crew that enjoy what they love to do, really. And then at which point did you move to the gong? So around about the end of year five, um, yeah, I had a bit of a spontaneous uh, pursuit away from the the classic Christian college that I was going to and living with my mom and at that stage you know my parents had divorced and my brother had actually bounced um, spontaneously you know maybe a year or two before and yeah you know um, it was a hard moment in life because yeah essentially pretty well left um, school one day and uh, some stuff had gone down at home and uh, when I shared that with my dad he opened up the door and said well you know if you don't wish to go back to that life, you know, this can be now your home. And it was one of those like pretty stoked to make it or to do something like that to change it up because it did feel toxic and my growth was being slightly, I guess, not so encouraged in a way. Um, So, yeah, like, you know, one afternoon it was just seeing all my friends at high or in primary school and then the next was starting a whole new uh, collective of friends in Wollongong and in Fig Tree. (laughs) So it was a pretty funny little dance to um, go along with. And yeah, before I knew it, I was yeah living just around the corner from the public school. So it was nice to change up that se- sector of, you know, private college where, you know, wearing a blazer and a tie and a Cooper and the whole kit and caboodle to just kind of a classic college shirt and whatever shorts and shoes and <laughs> everything else doesn't really matter, <laughs> which is kind of... Um, yeah, a nice change up for anyone, I think. Wow, that's a it's a pretty wild transition, and you know, I'd imagine fire. You'd have to say pretty traumatic, I guess, for a kid of that age to to turn their back on a parent, have to make that such an adult decision at, mm. at such a young age, and you know, the potential of uh, you, you know what it's like. Like there's the the mother's guilt and all that kind of stuff, the Catholic guilt. The, mm, like mm, I can't imagine a, that was an, an easy time in your no, life. No, definitely not. It was super heart-wrenching to really have to stand 
for what I felt was right. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the morals that my mum was holding and the things that were going on at the house weren't, you know, um, benefiting both of us, you know. So I think, and as well, as I grew older, you know, and understood like where she was in her life, you know, with bipolar and stuff, I began to understand that, you know, essentially those moods and those swings weren't who she truly was, you know, and when she was medicated and suppressed with all the things that come through the pharmaceutical line of these are going to be helping you um, and essentially they were in moments but not really. So it's a bit of a thing to, you know, again, learn and grow for myself um, and understanding what was going on with my mum instead of it just being like, oh, it's all her, you know, it's actually like beyond that and sometimes beyond what she was capable of herself. Mm, mm. Yeah, bipolar is such an, an interesting one. I mean, it was something that was suggested that I might have at, at one point and, mm. you know, by, a, a, I guess, an inverted commas, quote unquote, medical professional, mm. but like I, I don't have that. You know, yeah. what I had was complex PTSD mm. and, uh, you know, I guess they're, they're quite – they can seem interchangeable in terms of symptoms. Like, I mean, bipolar is essentially a state of being up and, and down which we all feel. <laughs> which we all feel. And um, depending on how Drastic. well you take care of yourself and your in internal state and, and biochemistry and yes. you know, whether you're getting to bed on time, whether you're, you're, you're eating, eating the well. right food, yeah, there's um, so many. whether you're practicing your, your meditation or your prayer, whatever it is, it's mm. two sides of the same coin. You, you Wim Hof, you're you know, exercising daily. Whether you've cultivated that routine and structure and discipline, I think will go a long way to deciding – um, how high those peaks are and how low those troughs are. And I mean, yeah, like it's a, it's a hard, hard, it's a hard conversation to have. I don't know your mother from a bar of soap, but I just am, uh, have a certain skepticism towards that condition. Just, it just seems to be, you know, it's come out of that diagnostic manual, the DSM or whatever it's called. And, yes. uh, you know, you, you can walk into a psychiatrist's office any day of the week and rattle off exactly how you're feeling in that moment and they'll look through that DSM and they'll find an illness that you uh, correlate to and they'll give you a packet of free pills that are on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme which are you know, supplied by the government for free and the government, of course, being lobbied by big pharmaceutical companies. It's a dicey, dicey world and, and you can kind of only wonder you know, how a lot of people out there with bipolar would fare if they were put through the rigors of what I just mentioned, all yeah. those things. That and having a bit more of a personalized approach with these people, you know, I think it's very just one number fits all sort of thing. And that's the thing. It's not, we're all so different and we've been raised and experienced and gone through so many different traumas and lifelong lessons that, yeah, I think people need to come back and be more, uh, personalized when they're being diagnosed with anything, you know, and mm. the doctors or psychologists or whoever is having these talks, you know, should really get more on a personal level instead of it just being like a judgmental sort of, oh, yeah, tick, tick, cross, cross, you know, all right, done, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think I must have seen five or six or something like that psychologists um over the years just you know using the the government rebate the the kind of, they give the you mental 10, health plan yeah, yeah. The mental health plan and i don't think one of them asked me whether i'd 
had a head injury, let alone 12 to 15. There you, you know, go. Playing football and fighting and <clears throat> whatever when I was a kid. So, uh, you know, the, I think that turns out to be probably at the, the root of all my problems, but it w- would have gone completely undiagnosed. And, yeah, I could have got on some bipolar meds or some antidepressants, mm. um, but I didn't do any of that and I was good, super skeptical. Yes, because uh, you knew deep down yeah, something oh, else was. Yeah, I just didn't trust it. I, I don't trust the idea of. Someone else telling you who and what you are. More so just I don't trust the solution to life's problems coming in a magical pill yes, or potion. that's it. I just, that's so true. I just don't think that... As you said, it comes down to like food. That's all where it starts. Like food is the gut health and that's where that's the brain it, man. You're feeds dead off. And, 100%. The microbiome. Who, who we share it with, you know, our community, our tribe, our mob, you know, and all of that and how we pay respects to it and whether it's organic or it's sprayed and, you know, like yourself and myself know and can taste the differences of you know when stuff's just been sprayed and then the organic and it's like wow you can really taste it and feel it energetically i think yeah i mean our food supplier i mean i heard this on joe rogan uh recently that there was there was a lady professor doing the rounds i think she was on the abc here too but just talking about how Plastic has just leaked so thoroughly into our food supplies because you know plastic is a, a byproduct of the petrochemical uh, industry and it's it's basically a, a petroleum byproduct and it's, yeah. it's wrapped everything's wrapped in it that we eat. Yeah. It's like of course it's leaching, it's leaching in. in. Yeah, yeah, of course. So like what? It's this completely toxic. But it's the clean, byproduct. fresh, trying to keep it preserved for longer, oh. and you think. Oh, isn't it great that it might last uh, two weeks, but it's probably a bit concerning if it's lasting more than two to three. Yeah, that's right, man. And, and I'll put this Joe Rogan uh, up in the show notes because it's fucking rattling. The, the chick was saying that uh, the toxification of food via plastic was like decimating fertility rates worldwide mm. and was potentially even affecting the size of the male reproductive organ. So, like, they're making us infertile and giving us small cocks. <laughs> like, that's some reptilian behavior, dude. That's but I wouldn't reptilian. put it past them. I wouldn't know. It's just another, you know, making them a bit more Bitcoin or whatever they're trying to get. <laughs> Not to mention mentally ill and, mm. and, and just sick and, and, and carcinogenic. I actually also knew a... Knew a lady back in Sydney whose dad had a terminal cancer diagnosis, and in the process of trying to beat it, he he did everything. You know, he left no stone unturned. Reiki uh, removed all plastics. So beautiful. Uh, yeah, just which is what I've done today. I don't I don't eat anything that comes out of plastic. Really, nice, like vegetable wise. That's it. He's uh, after removing the plastics in particular. His his readings went off the chart. Like he he was making this incredible bounce back in terms of his Recovery. health. Recovery. Yeah. But he ended up passing on still. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty telling. But yeah, like you said, man, food is critical. Sugar is in fucking everything, which is oh, yeah. mind blowing. Like even your, your health food nuts. Like you, yeah. you look at the back, you you read that the cranberries in your superfood pack have been dipped in sugar. Like it's sneaky. fucking, mate. They are so sneaky. It was in. Uh, we're talking on the phone. It's it's in yeah. minced garlic. Like yeah, the sugar minced garlic. It's just it, it's up. everywhere, man. It's it's like if sugar is like. It's so close to crack, like in, in how it looks. Like, it is. sorry, uh, meth. cocaine. Yeah, meth. yeah. Like it's like this tiny, ultra-processed crystal. Mm. 
And it's in everything, man. And uh, that's where the addiction is for everything. It's the too. original addiction, man. It's the mm. original addiction. The hook. Uh, shout out to Gavin Longbottom, um, a black fella from Larpa, and uh, a good sh- a good friend of the show. He was telling me, uh, you know, he, this guy was uh, ended up becoming a a, a drug addict and a, an alcoholic. Um, you know, he's from a, a traumatic kind of background. But he told me that his first addiction was sugar. Totally. It was the very first. The and, same. For and, me, and, the and, same, It, it was the original gateway drug, so man. think about when you used to go to the little corner store like, and you'd you know, be with your mates before school and even after or even during school, you know, lollies, they were everywhere. Everywhere. And you'd get them for five cents, 10 cents, 20 cents for a bag and like some of the shops you'd walk in and it was like chockers, wall-to-wall like candy bar and it's a kid's dream and moment but it's actually like a full disaster in the long term. Start your day with a bowl of just right. That's <laughs> like basically got more sugar than a chocolate cake or Nutri-Grain. <laughs> and uh, and, and it, yeah, you feel so sorry for the parents in that situation too, because you know mm. my mum was was pretty hessian and like really on. She was like a, a studying naturopath and uh, you know she's a, a masseuse by trade and she was really health conscious in terms of diet. Um, very fucking pretty damaged, volatile woman too. But like she was onto it. At least onto of it. Not being food tricked. And yeah, but you know, I couldn't be told. Like, I wanted what I wanted. I wanted. That's it. I wanted what fucking Trevor Hendy was eating on the telly <laughs> or whatever it was. I wanted. Uh, we ju- wanted what was advertised to us and what our friends were having. Which and is, what tastes good, man? This shit yes. tastes like fucking angels. You know, shitting in your mouth, man. It's just <laughs> totally the deliciousness. It tastes that good. It's deadly, but it's delicious. I guess uh, the yeah. I guess where were we? Just the, the, the relationship between. The various environmental factors mm. and mental health. And so now you work as a support worker. Yeah, so we- I've been doing disability support work for the past two years and just connecting with the community around here, the Northern Rivers, and um, you know, helping people that are somewhat a bit more on the mental side, um, needing some assistance and like some others on the more disabilities. So it's been really rewarding for both um, sides in terms of you know, one of the brothers that I was looking after, he was capable of surfing and he loved the ocean and he didn't do it too often. So, you know, when we started going out together to the beach and stuff, it was pretty amazing to be, you know, tapping him into going on little surf trips as well. And, you know, even one New Year's, um, I was having a bit of a slow one and he asked me whether we wanted to go away and he hadn't actually been away for New Year's in like eight years or something ridiculous. And I said, bro, let's make a little mission. So we went down to like Arawara and, you know, camped out and cooked up some good food and had some jams and, you know, just connecting really and um, making him feel part of the community that he is a part of, you know, because essentially these people are just wanting to connect, you know, and want someone to be able to hang out with and go have some fun with. And I think that's what we all wish to do in, in this life. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, far out. Social isolation mm, is one toxic. of the quickest routes to mental illness. And, uh, you know, the more mentally ill you are, the more you want to isolate yourself. And yeah. there's, you know, loneliness is at epidemic levels mm. in our culture. And, and it's you can see why, I mean... We just don't really have any of those rigid community structures. Uh, we talk about this a lot. Like you look at the blue zones in Okinawa and Sardinia and, you know, 
the communal way of life is so entrenched in their cultures that it's an intact, um, you know, fairly indigenous culture in a sense. Mm. Uh, has been it's the way it is today that it was hundreds of years ago, and um, but a big part of that that sense of community is church. Weirdly. Yeah, um, and it, you know, a lot of people might balk at that, but church it fulfills a really essential role. God is your belief in God. I think is almost irrelevant mm, uh, compared is. to the fact of being brought together that's it. once that's... or twice a week and seeing all your mates in the one spot. Mm, um, fuck, that's up. uplifting, man. It's, it is. It, and you need that. You we do. need that. We're we a communal like tribe-based species, mm. but we haven't replaced church with a, another communal structure. So we're just kind of like floating around. Floating, man. Yeah, everyone's... There's like, you know, the community gardens, which is awesome to see and, you know, certain men's groups and women's groups and there's certain things that people are tapping into, you know, which is awesome. But again, like bring it back to just having some connection with just even smaller groups and sometimes not so big is just as empowering for crew, you know, if they're mm. self-conscious or, you know, doubtful of how they can interact with, you know, crew, whether they're clicky or not. And it's nicest to drop all those barriers and just have genuine open heart to heart conversations, you know, about what we're going through and what we've been through and what they've gone through and what we wish to do, you know. I think that's what's the beauty of people just dropping their boundaries and actually just having some vulnerability. And when you open that space up together, it's really empowering for both of us, you know, and for everyone around, especially if you, you know, start domino, domino affecting that through your community or through your groups, you know, the conversations start to just filter more and more and then, it becomes normalized like this mental health topic and any topics of struggle or depression or anxiety, you know, like realistically everyone has slithers of this in them yeah, in moments. Absolutely. But we've all been so tricked to just suppress that and put on the brave face of, yeah, good, how are you? Yeah, good, you know. Or like reach that. for the nearest um, sugary treat or alcohol. Mm. There's so much emotional eating and, yeah, and, drinking, eating and, and, and drinking and just is... the inability to sit with these uncomfortable Mm. sensations yeah it is that's it like very sometimes <clears throat> can be quite uh confronting but it's nice just to be able to either check in with a psychologist or your friend or someone that is in my case supporting these crew you know and that's essentially what um a lot of people in this community are, are helping each other through you know especially after the events that have gone down mm. and just another point on, on that social isolation, it's something I've thought about a lot. I actually took a big mushroom trip uh, recently. I really like had my intention really firmly set, but I got the set and setting really wrong. And what I got wrong was that I'd been isolating for COVID for like five days. So I hadn't seen anyone or spoken to anyone in five days. And I took, I took the, the plant medicine uh, and the message that was getting rammed home to me was just how much pain I was in, how much anxiety I was feeling due to that disconnection, that social isolation. Mm. And I, it became this like, yeah, just like this throbbing need to, to tell people about like not letting people, you know, disconnect or like yes. not, not letting yourself disconnect, not letting others disconnect. Mm. Not going all, reclusive and... Not being reclusive, but some people... You know, like like I was saying, like the the sicker you get, the more you uh, self isolate. And just a word of warning to people: like if you see one of your friends starting to 
isolate themselves. Like they don't want to come out. They don't want to hang out. And, and they're all of a sudden uh, starting to just kind of withdraw. Mate, you are close to losing that person. Like they're on the ropes because it, it's, a, it's a kind of steepening decline mm. from that point on. And the other part of that is like, so how do you, how do you save them? Well, that's also difficult because they're not going to be pleasant to hang out with. Mm. People who have depression, anxiety, uh, you know, they're, they're often irritable, angry. Mm. Like they're just a, often a bummer to be around. And that is, uh, that's the nature of the disease. Yeah, the depression the side. So I think at that point, my theory on it is like, if you're a really good, solid friend, and also people don't like to be confronted with, you know, I guess I'm saying this, I've been in this situation. I didn't like to be confronted with, you know, necessarily people checking in checking it like it's a, it just i don't know there's something that mm. you feel like a bit of a sad case yeah so it, it, it's kind of best done discreetly i guess and it also is. you know just inviting them to Do sit around a campfire anything. shit yes. like that yes. like the most basic dawn of man kind of stuff activities like, yeah yeah like, like go, we did the hang other out day, the beach go for a walk on the beach hang around the fire yes um don't don't Make them feel obliged to talk, mm. uh, be happy, whatever. Let them just be. Yes. Be in silence. There's nothing That's wrong it. with being in silence. Nah. And, and bit by bit, like they will at some point open up. They'll open up. There'll be mm. that slither of light that leaks in. And, and, and that's it. often all you need, man. That's it's just it. to sit. Like, they may have not experienced that for days or weeks or months. Mm. And just that slither of light that, that creeps in. And then from that moment on, like, it, you know, they'll. You'll notice when the light creeps in because they'll word a life. They'll say That's something. It. And they'll open up that whatever's going on. Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, like they'll, 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 they'll just, they'll say something and they'll communicate and, and you'll be able to answer to them. But, you know, people often try and force the issue or... Yeah, and uh, it's a hard thing because sometimes it's also on the other side, you know, with a brother, Dosco, you know, from this local town of Lennox Head, you know, he was a full loving brother and ripped on the surfboard and had himself a sweet gig doing carpentry and you know it was killing it and we all had a beautiful family home together here just up behind the point here and surfing heaps making music cooking up having the fires like all the wholesome things and yeah in all honesty like he did decide um to like take a little bit of a step back from the from the parties and from the drugs and from the alcohol and all those things which were definitely a positive you know i, I found him genuinely trying you know he had this book about the mind and he was really like interested about how to like discover better patterns for memory and body function and all these things and I said to him the same in the moment you know we're laughing about our upbringing because we had similar upbringings with our parents as well and you know all these things but in all honesty like he was always such a, a happy content brother and it was pretty hard to um, hear the news during a moment um, from his father of what had uh, happened on one afternoon and, you know, again, like to not see any of that and still, you know, when he was having time away from the parties and that, he was still like hanging out home and jamming and, and, and made a song like the week before and on the day I'd seen him and he just got back from a trip surfing and, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, sometimes even the happiest of people and sometimes when they're just still doing all the things they love, life is testing and, and it's one of those things that it's up to us or up to them of where they want to pursue the next direction of their life. And um, yeah, rest in peace to the brother Dosco because I know that he's out there and the energy's high and everything that came from that, you know, as well with um, 
the Healthy Minds Club that Jacko started up and, you know, the stigma around Lennox and that whole side of mental health with alcoholism and drug abuse and, you know, all those things that are a good time. But again, all in moderation, you know, you can't be sending it every weekend because it will catch up with you, you know. And I think it was at least a humble thing to know that he wasn't in that space and in that setting of a family when that transition was to unfold. So It's such a... It can be such an insidiously rattling rhythm of life to be in. Mm. You work in five to six days a week as a tradesman. That's it. You get to the, the Friday night. And often it's the Friday night and it's beers and bags. Yeah. Fucking big send on the Friday. You rock up to work sometimes on the Saturday just torched. <laughs> you fucking struggle through a half day and then you straight back on it. Big send on Saturday. And then the theory is that like, oh, you know, like I can just recover at work. Mm. But you can't recover at work, man. Like no. work is hard it and, is. you know, it, the irritability and the stress uh, mm. that you've created by abusing your body and through lack of sleep and toxins, it comes out, it, it snowballs. It, it gathers a momentum of its own and it, it can, mate, that, that momentum that, that of that lifestyle that you're living can take fucking days, weeks, months, years, months, years to it can become a negative loop and it can take that long to wear off. Mm. You, you know, you would have to basically, if you were to let it run its course naturally, you'd have to basically go camping for, for yeah. a week and yeah. you know, just fully lock into the natural circadian rhythms and whatnot. I mean, fortunately, we have these tools like ice baths, Wim Hof, meditation. Yeah, so that's um, another to, thing, to, you know. To snap you out of it a lot quicker and start to get the, the biochemistry and internal state. Exactly, because even correct, in quicker. the early years when I moved here, you know, I hadn't actually done any meditation or yoga. And one of our brothers, Reggie, Veggie, he uh, was a local brother that I met just down here at the lake and was just seeing him sit peacefully meditating one afternoon. And I walked by and had my little 35 mil and I snapped a photo and said nothing because he was just facing out to the water. And then, you know, I went for a walk on the beach and came back and he's still sitting there like a shaman that he is, just guruing out. And I was like, wow, this brother's tapping in. That's so cool. And then he came scooting past when I'd walk past on his skateboard and was just jolly as and was just like, what's going on, brother? And we just hit it off, you know. And then before I knew it, that was one of my first mates that I had here. And, um, he introduced me to Dosco and all the other Lennox crew and yeah, we were all actually going to the meditations just down here at the hall and my friend Reggie would do, yeah, these like Sunday sessions and we would get together and, you know, it was awesome because, yeah, like myself, Dosco and um, Alex and a few other crew like Jack and Red and all these people that hadn't been exposed to that were, it was kind of a fresh thing here at that point, you know, in 2016 and it was awesome to see yeah, Dosco tap into that and, and, and we were all feeling the benefits of this, you know, practice because essentially, as we were saying, coming together and for me moving here and not having any friends and then all of a sudden having a few, you know, it felt so nice to connect with people like that and, and they were into the organic food so we'd, you know, do a big potluck after it and, and it was this real wholesome sort of um livelihood at that stage of like coming here which was really drawing the card to feel engaged with the place wow man that's incredible because yeah it makes me just wonder like where it went wrong for for your mate that's it bro and i think it's just one of those parts like even when we talk about the whole work ethics you know and uh that nine to five monday to friday it's 
gets everyone, but he was also catching himself and, and being able to um, say to his boss, you know, like, I'm actually not feeling it today. And some just before it, you know, like we were having days where we were surfing when he was meant to be working. And, you know, so the, him genuinely open-heartedly trying and, and putting in efforts to go and do these practices and playing music and whatever it was that he loved doing, he was doing it. And I think, you know, sometimes it's yeah, hard to pinpoint why or how or shoulda, coulda, woulda, but at the same time when I see what unfolded after that with the Healthy Minds Club and, and all the things that kind of dropped the stigma and ego of this place within the masculinity of men and, and also the feminine side of women, you know, and really genuinely bringing this topic forward and making it shine and, and everyone, you know, like we even had a welcome to country up at the point and had one of the Indigenous elders, um, Arnie Kay, come up and, yeah, it was awesome to do a little smoking ceremony up there with some small crew and then the next morning we got like, I think, can't remember how many people but it was at least half of Lennox was what it felt like um, up on that top of the hill at the point and uh, we all did a round of whim and it was so empowering and literally like I never pushed as hard as I have ever until that point and to do that with yeah maybe a hundred or so people um, was pretty empowering and I think Lennox community noticed that that's like the direction that we all need to be going in you know to break these things down. The bounce back of the Lennox community, as you mentioned, uh, I, I didn't know that's what it was related to. But since I've moved up here, I've been surprised to see various leaders of the community really on the offensive in terms of, you know, just being a lot more calm and, you know, breaking down those toxic fucking plastic hard cunt like masculine masculine that horse shit man like just drinking a beer and puffing up and being this fucking hard cunning like you know at a three foot point break you know all that fucking just like there's been a tone tone shift in this community um on the back of you know the ball and all podcast uh jimmy woods like um as a as a leader barry uh, condo and those guys jack and the healthy minds club um And yeah, it, it's inspiring to, to to be around it. And we saw also like the the beating heart. What this what this community is really about during the floods, didn't we? Yes. Down there at Wardell, talk us through. Uh, mate, talk. <clears throat> I guess let's talk first about the floods uh, before we get to the the fight back. You know, what what are your memories? What are your defining memories of when the rain was coming down, and just those immediate stages. Yeah, so basically we live um, just up on the hillside of where you're at, you know, and we're on this pinnacle uh, called Coolgardie and it's a beautiful sacred place and being so high up there, we're at like 190 metres elevation and looking west, you know, we see the sunset in all that valley that snake runs, you know, from the cutouts of where water once was, you know, and, and seeing that before the floods, I was always amazed at like, how much that was already a floodplain before these rains. So the Tuckian yeah, swamp is what you're talking about. That's it. <clears throat> so yeah, once that rain really settled in and it was pretty relentless, just looking out the backyard and seeing how much it had filled in within such a short period of time, it was really concerning in all honesty. It was like just even thinking about uh, getting out of the Coolgardie realm, we thought we might have been Mongo, just been stuck on the hill, which is pretty blessful and 
you know, lucky but to think, um, you know, my mate uh, Luda at the house, he had a jet ski and we thought, you know, what more can we do than go launch the skis? So, yeah, the first day we drove down the highway and pulled up to Broadwater and at the time I was looking after a, a little Grom who had a house on the river so I was pretty concerned of like his state of safety and his family because he had a pretty big family and um, so we pretty well pulled off the highway and just um, – there at uh, Broadwater and, you know, where you drive along towards the Broadwater sugarcane mill, you know, you couldn't even access it. And it was just a full-on sweeping tidal pool river that had just absolutely opened up to a huge degree. And um, just driving the jet ski along that road at the start was just such a wild experience because, you know, these signs are two to three metres high and they're just, just viewable, you know. So... Once we entered um, that and thought, okay, first port of call is to stop by the Grom's house, which wasn't too far away, and we pulled in and yelled out. But by that time, they'd been rescued, and he had a two-story house, and um, the second story um, was already knee-deep, you know? So the scale of how wide berth that uh, river had opened up because, you know, only a week before when I was going and supporting him at his house, you just look out and the river is less than 50 metres, you know, from his yard. So, like, that thing just really ripped through there and it was a pretty traumatic experience in all honesty, like just being safe on a jet ski but just knowing people are, you know, not safe and, and not knowing as well, like, who's been saved from what homes and yelling out to random homes and and eventually we went all the way up to Korokai because pretty well from Broadie up had been, you know, everyone had been rescued by what we could figure out. On the out. jet ski, you went from Broadie to Korokai? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, all the way. And How long did that take? We spent the day out there. Like it, by the time we came back, it was like we were seven hours on the ski. Mate, that's wild. And and not only that, like this is at the, the peak of the flooding. Like yeah, this is it was when the water's ripping. coming down from Lismore, right? Yeah, yeah. It was powerful. Like even just breaching from the road to the river system through the caravan park there at Broadie, you know, like Lou and I were looking at this little keyhole and the trees and the cars and the clothesline and we're like whoa that's a tight like we got to really dial this and time it you know smoothly for us to be in safety to help other people you know so it was full alert you know the whole time we were just alert and just trying to you know hear anything that was going on you know and we had another brother on a jet ski that was also following so we felt safe if anything did go down you know but um, by the time we got up to Korokai, you know, like there was people on that bridge, as I'm sure you would have seen the photos with the horses on the bridge and the cars all piled on, but no one really wanted to leave from that zone. And even just pulling into the township there, um, you know, there was only a few people that were still there. And um, I think we've, we've found one farmer just fully mongoed and, um, you know, he had water just flooding around his whole house, but his house was on stilts, not even that high, only like a metre. And um, we said to him like, oh, mate, do you feel like you want to jump on with us and, you know, you get your um, daughter and your, your wife, you know, just some safety? And he, he just kind of smiled and said, oh, mate, I think we're going to be all good, eh? And it was a bit of a hard moment in a way because... I don't think he'd realised the magnitude of how long, you know, it was going to be like this, you know, within, you know, days of 
having any food or water if things were to start to ration, you know. And at that moment, we, you know, couldn't put any pressure on and we just went with the flow and said, all right, brother, well, you know, you know, here's our number, give us a call if, you know, you do change your mind because we think that it would be best, you know, for the safety of everyone. And at those points in time, I think a lot of people in those um, old sort of towns were just not too proud, but in some way, you know, not seeing how big the magnitude of this event was, you know, and and knowing that home for them has always been their safety net, you know, so I think they want to, if the home isn't too flooded, it's uh, still safe and, you know, just trying to hold that forward and, and recover, you know, but it was a long way off and, yeah, we pretty well did a big day out just trying to help crew. We picked up a few crew and brought them back and, um, yeah, after that, so yeah, after that, it was a pretty wild experience to come home to. Everyone was pretty rattled and just to see that magnitude firsthand and knowing like the petroleum and the, all the poisons and, you know, the pesticides and all these things that we'd seen in the river and how much I, we all love the ocean and to know that that was going to be slowly but surely leaching out to our oceans was probably the most devastating part of it all in all honesty for myself like just knowing how much stuff was just going to be forever enriched in the ocean and the the sandbanks and wherever this stuff was going to um filter through so yeah it was pretty sad to see and to know that that was the reality of it you know and from all these people that had had farms for so long and um had been, you know, the tractors and all these things that are just filtered with absolute trash mine of just stuff hmm. through the river and Yeah, it's like uh it's like the earth had dysentery. It's like the floods reminded me of like uh I was getting these kind of weird psychedelic like uh, macroscopic views or perceptions of things like during that time where i was thinking of like yeah it's like the world is sick the planet's sick the climate's sick we're gonna flush it and it's like yeah it's like a flush it's we're like the, flush the, the flood is like the equivalent of the earth having diarrhea like all these toxins just flush out to sea and then because the earth's got diarrhea we all get fucking diarrhea which is yes. what happened like <laughs> everyone's it. getting e coli poisoning from getting in the water it was Seriously. toxic man people yeah. getting the craziest Infections. infections in their eyes, in their any cut. Yeah, it was vile, dirty, dangerous work. The cleanup and the rescue effort. It was so yeah. much more dangerous than I think people can appreciate. Unless yeah, you're you're on the back of a jet ski like you were. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty wild to see that. And you know, the next day, I actually had the day off, so I just thought I'd go down to the local community center where things were starting to just take off really and um you know Wardell was only just down the road so I shot down there and when I arrived there was pretty big effort going on you know from the RFS and and the organization of the, the where rural, all these rural fire service yeah the yeah. rural fire service and um that team were doing an amazing effort for how much you know they could do because I think that was the only crew in Wardell that were able to help facilitate and there was this old lord with a big old fishing boat that actually went up and saved like 20 people like the night before and I was just like wow that's insane like just knowing that this crew are just almost on their own but just figuring it out as they go you know and um, when I arrived yeah like all the donations were pretty well starting to flood in and it was almost becoming a bit chaotic and um, overwhelming for crew and I 
with my own ways of being just in life, I think order or general order is like clarity, you know, so clear space, clear mind sort of vibe. And I thought, all right, someone's got to rip in here and start organizing what's what, where's going where and like, you know, whether it's perishables or non-perishables or, you know, baby food or dog food, you know. So, yeah, that whole day I pretty well just ripped in and started organising all these donations into sections for when people started coming in, which they were at that point because, you know, some of them had already slept a night just out the front near the church and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was really nice just to like help out in, in that small way, you know. It felt like there was already enough hands on deck with people out and about in the in the waters. So that was like where I felt the calling to go help and provide a bit of a service, you know, for a, spa a space to be a bit calmer for people to come into as well. And yeah, it was pretty amazing to see, um, you know, how uh, strong and, and determined people still were even after being so rinsed and wrecked from in the whole uh, experience of that. And I think, yeah, one of the brothers I met just um, down near the church, you know, he didn't have a place to go because he had his dog and I just picked up a piece of rubbish and he just yelled out to me and was like, oh, I've got a bag here, you want to throw it in? I was like, oh, cheers, bro. And then we just started yarning and I said to him like, bro, it looks like you could use a you know, shower and a place to sleep. Do you want to come crash up at the farm? And he was just like almost in tears because, you know, he felt like he wasn't going to have anywhere and for me, you know, and for the team up at the house, that's the least we could do it is just provided somewhat shelter and a, a space to clean up and kind of get away from that intensity of the environment that it was right there on the forefront. Man, it's straight up biblical shit, you know, what you're doing. Like it's something that could be ripped verse for verse from the Bible. And I guess, um, you know, in the floods, ditto. Mm. <laughs> it's also verse, <laughs> yeah. verse for verse from the Bible. But I guess that that's, you know, it's kind of this tremendous catastrophe and out of this tr tremendous catastrophe, there is this tremendous show of goodwill and a, and a solidarity and, and a, an upwelling of, of compassion and kindness that was like every bit as, um, you know, kind of cathartic or, or it, it's like diarrhea in reverse, you know yes. what I mean? Like the flush had to happen. There had to be that flush. And then the flip side of that was this flush of positive uh, emotions that, you know, I hadn't been a part of or, or felt anything like that in, in my life. Uh, yeah. You know, just the, the, just the, the random acts of kindness that's and, it, the and, and there was, acts. you had no choice but to do it. I mean, mm. that said, I didn't hear many stories of, you know, a, a share house where everyone's eking by, uh, not earning, you know, huge money, uh, not in, in a particularly stable or secure position yourself. And yet, um, taking someone in like that with a dog and an older guy, like who would have been on the absolute bones of his ass, mate. Like, I mean, it's an absolute credit to yourself and your family um, that you would, you know, think to even do something like that. I mean, a lot of people would kind of stop short of mm. inviting a, a well, stranger into their home. I think that's the beautiful home, part of, um, you know, again, where the re being raised by a mum to just treat people the way you want to be treated, you mm. know. Those ethics have always just been ingrained in my life you know it doesn't really matter what they look like or who they seem to be it's like yeah again just don't judge a book by their cover you know I think that's where the moral of human humans in general want to just you know um, connect and, and be helped and, and to help each other really and 
and nothing is more rewarding than that. The, yeah. the irony, like that, you know, the way capitalism and consumerism kind of sets us up is to hoard and to cordon ourselves off inside of our big suburban McMansions and it just mm. creates disconnection and totally. sickness. Yes. Um, whereas, you know, just connecting with people random acts of kindness without asking for anything in return um mm. you know the return is, is comes in the the spirit and and the the feeling in your heart that you know no money can buy that feeling. totally totally and it was just like when you came down on that day and we we're all ripping in on that home you know and there was a team of like yeah 20 of us just ripping out that lady's back home where she had that little hairdresser set place and you know it was amazing to just see yeah, how much random acts of kindness, like one of the boys from around, around here, the um, electronic crew or the electrician crew, they um, just came in, in as an army, you know. I think they had like 30, 30 brothers and just ripped in, you know, mm. and that was Going door to door in door Wardell, to door. That was a That was, yeah, a, a huge crew of, of guys from, from Lennox. New basically. age electrical, J that yeah, crew. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think there was guys from various trades, oh, businesses. all over. Concreters, uh, yep. chippies, and, and and whatnot, and Casper. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and, and watching the speed with which uh, houses were dismantled, um, gutted, and, and cleaned, gutted, cleaned. It was crazy shit, man. Mm. Like you, you haven't seen um, a more efficient workforce than this. And I guess this is where this chat is is heading because um, you know as time wore on. You were, you gave, you and your partner at the time gave up like weeks, if not months of your life for free to this uh, Wardell Corps, this, this organization it. that you helped create. Um, and a big part of it was just organizing and distributing Delegating. not just supplies, but manpower and woman power, human power or yes. whatever. I mean, what were, the, what were the, the big lessons learned all of the defining memories learned from this uh it's like a social experiment of sorts but you know i hear a lot of chat in, about the the future um you know a future that's not in this capitalist consumer model being a lot to do with working cooperatives exactly like what we saw unfolding down there at wardell court yeah it was super empowering i think for the community and for everyone involved really because essentially we all have something to offer whether we're good at something or we're not so good, you know, and when teams come together, it's teamwork making the dream work, essentially. And when, um, you know, groups are needing s supplies or needing support, you know, and coming in, um, it was pretty amazing to help in that way and in that um, experience, having the army eventually step in and, and help us set up a bit of a plan and a, and a database and, you know, a bit of a, a comms room. And that was probably one of the most efficient, effective solutions to um that it was injected into the wardell core you know because we had a piece of paper and basically would write the date um the person what they were needing when they were needing it done you know and would put on the board and then when the trades or someone would come in and be able to offer somewhat of a service whether it's um the rfs or whether the army or whether it's um welfare or um you know, physical labor or the trade, you know, we had them in these sections. So it became quite a um, fluid and flowing aspect of, yeah, people coming in needing it and people coming in and wanting to provide service, you know. So it was powerful to see that all unfold quite quickly and 
efficiently, really. And one of the ideas that came out of it, one of the visions that we've discussed was just what's possible. So, and, and we kind of broke it down almost one, one night in a, in a numerical way where it was like um, when, you, when you break it down, you've got say – you say you got three tradesmen, qualified tradesmen, and you got fucking 10 laborers. Like the speed with which you can erect a shelter in that amount of time, like, you know, you could do it within like a week. A, yeah, exactly. You know, something like that. And, and then you, so you think about that, you're like, wow, so, uh, you know, how much money is saved there? So, you know, what does it cost to, to build a house? Like a, a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, but if, if you say you, you, you broke out of that model where you're, you're paying uh, builders to, to build you a house and instead had uh, a working cooperative build your house and the way you pay for that house is by investing your time into the working cooperative when your number comes up. Yes. You know, and, and, and so instead of like having to pay with money, you pay with time instead. And, and I feel like the savings would be immense. And, and not only that, but you're, there's this whole spiritual component to it where you're, mm, you're giving... Collectively coming together. You're coming together in a community. You, you're giving back for, for, you know, I guess you get something back in reward, but, you know, that, that comes down the line. Uh, and so, like, yeah, you, you just save so much time and money you're working with your mates and then you can apply that same working cooperative to whatever it is. You know, it yeah. can be a farm, it can be food. Totally. Um, it can be whatever problem or whatever infrastructure your community needs. You can create that through working together in a cooperative. Uh, man, it was... And, and to actually work in one and be a part of one and, and f feel that power and feel what it feels like inside you to be a part of something like that. I was like, fuck, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the, the way we do things. The way mm. we do things fucking sucks. Like, you know, I was chatting to um, uh, a bloke from Lennox, well-known character, um, good surfer, concreter, and, and I saw him like a week or two after the floods. And, I, and he was like, mate, like, you know, he was doing renos on some fucking rich cunts like, beachfront property and yeah you know like he was just like this is not essential like yes. he's essentially just adding value to a guy's house who's already got tons of coin yeah you know it's a very That's common enough. thing a lot of a lot of builders uh this is exceedingly common is that you know builders will flip houses they'll, they'll buy a shit house um do it up flip sell it, it on flip it for, for double <laughs> double whatever it is and they you know often um the developer or the, the builder will be you know me and my mother got booted out of countless houses due to this practice yes, growing up. You know, people totally. would, uh, buy the house that we were renting and put a coat of paint on it and, 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 and double triple the, the rent. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's like, crazy. Fuck you, cunt. You, you grub. Like, yeah. But not everyone is in this extreme, uh, you know, not everyone is so careless, but that's it's one extreme, that, I guess. Yeah, and and part like, of society. You know, yeah, and, and I felt the sting of that and the shame mm. of that and the humiliation of that and having to move house, you know, every 12 Numerous. months when a lease expired in yeah. the eastern side of the city was fucking annoying. Um, totally. And yeah, so like this guy was saying to me, like, you know, I'd much rather be right now out in the community rebuilding homes. And I, and I had this conversation many times over with many mm. builders and tradesmen saying that they didn't want to go back to their jobs. They wanted to be out there rebuilding their community. That yeah, they've helping. lived in their whole lives and that they love. And, and, and the, the, they too felt 
um, what it felt like to be a part of some huge upwelling of, of goodwill and compassion and, and camaraderie. And mm. no one wanted to go back yeah, to the but, way we were living before because it fucking sucks, man. Yeah. Like it seems all right it's because the advertising show. and the system tells you it's okay, but it's fucking hollow, man. Yeah. It's hollow. It's shallow. It's like really the only way we survive it is by, you know, artificially inseminating like meditation Wim Hof like community like we, we have to kind of somehow outside the incredibly exhaustive working week we have to jam all these things into a tight window of two hours of free time a day yeah it's, it's just insane. bullshit it is it's all to service debt yeah and some economic model that is completely fucking rigged and that every cunt knows is rigged but we just go through the motions because it's really difficult to, to get the breathing room to create a, a new system. Uh, and I, I guess that's why we're, we're talking today is because we were part of a new system ever so briefly. Totally. Couldn't have said it better myself, brother. And then big shout out to uh, Joel and V. They were a couple of, you know, newly acquainted um, Wardellians. But, uh, up the fucking Wardellians. Up the Wardellians. Plenty of heart down in Wardellians. Plenty of heart. And the pies, pretty renowned. Oh, Deadly, wow. watch out. But uh, yes, again, so much uh, appreciation for that power team couple as they literally lived only up the corner from the church, across the road from the church. Is and, this Adam um, Felton? No, this is Joel. Um, oh, and Joel and V. Sorry, Joel and yeah. V, yeah. And they are, he's just an absolute wizard of a brother and he just gave all you know he could to that and helped you know facilitate what we were all trying to you know, organized because he was very um, articulate and knew his ways of the around the uh, corporate dogs and the big councils and knew how to put the bit of the pressure on, you know. So without those sort of people also helping provide and and coming together, you, you know, as I was saying before, we all have different things we can offer and it's amazing when people, yeah, just give all they've got, you know, and that's something that those two are, are still doing, you know. He's down there ripping in right now probably and... Um, setting up you know he's done these friday night cook-ups so there's soup nights going on yeah, now and we went them. a few months back before i shot off on that trip i um yet went down it was awesome to have a little dance and have a little jam and you know just have a laugh and bring back again what we we're saying is like these community um efforts where you know now it's um coming together a bit more with the town and you know people are a, a bit more up for having a laugh and you know and just coming together and just trying to enjoy what is for now you know mm, mm. yeah those events have been incredible uh there was one on just on the saturday just gone and i mean it's worth mentioning that these community hubs existed and, and i guess continue to exist all over the northern rivers you know in in Mullum, in, in lismore um uh, casino korakai uh mm. there was ones at, at broadwater and woodburn from memory yeah. um and, you know, like, yeah, you, you just wished it could have continued to gather momentum. But yes. the, the debt slavery that we're in demands servicing and people mm. have to go back to these jobs. And it's just a shame that, you know, I, I think I heard today that uh, on the ABC that you know, there was like something like 60 millionaires or 250 millionaires in the country that, that didn't pay a cent of tax. You know, like, and uh, then, you know, scale that up to your, your, your Twiggy Forests, you know, these mining magnates, your Gina Reinhardt's, 
uh, and whoever else, you, uh, and, and keep going further up the tree to your Jeff Bezos's and your Elon Musk's and Mark Zuckerberg's. And it's like, if we were able to just get the money, really, it's not about the money. It's about the, the fact that money gives us time. Mm. Money is time. It's time is money. It's the same thing. So by taking the pressure off, even if it was just money that serviced, we didn't even touch the money. It just serviced our debts, our mortgage debts and gave us the time to work in our communities and rebuild our communities and, and, and not once they're rebuilt can, you know, fucking have them evolve and prosper. Mm. You know, what an incredible and, and very attainable way of life that would be. Yeah. But of course, they, they can't let us have that. They don't that. allow us to make it that easy. No, because there is this... Rent and fuel and all these expenses. Well, it's making people money. It's making these billionaires and millionaires more money. And more and And they don't want to give that up despite the fact they're all fucking miserable, yes. soulless cunts who, who can't get a straight answer out of any cunt because they're just surrounded by sycophants and cocksuckers and like, you know, fuck what a nightmare it would be oh. to, to be an insanely rich person just living in a false reality of... You know, just suck ups and cocaine and champagne and all. You know, it, that's their toxic, karma. Toxic that's their realm. karma. The capitalism's deserts for, for immense wealth and success is all poison. So mm, you know, enjoy it. Mm, but exactly. um, yeah, it's such a shame that we just couldn't get given the the resources. Yeah. To keep it pumping, man. Fuck. It's crazy, isn't it? It's, UBI, that's where we're headed. We, 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 a universal basic income and it, it's more than possible. It was possible in the 1970s, man. Uh, and it, it's been withheld because the, the rich own the media, they own the politicians, yeah. they, the, they, uh, they are the ones who dictate the message mm. uh, and, and control the narrative. Yeah. And you know, we, all, there's a, we all know that what we're being told is lies, but we know, as Adam Curtis says, the, the great BBC documentary maker, um, we know, we know, they know, yes. we know. <laughs> yes, bro. That's so good. I love that. I love all of that. And yeah, you know, everyone in life is just yearning to connect within the core of our communities and tribes. And yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that's been a missing key element during the industrial revolution through metropolitan areas and it's just yeah overloaded by the materialistic realm that the hogs of marketing have conveniently constructed for a quick but long-term cash grab has yeah only provided a desensitized and sick society as we're saying you know and losing touch with our planet and our people and the fresh produce side of things and thankfully since you know these wild couple of years i think as we're saying those blockages have uh, been slowly but surely uh, clearing. And I'm sure as most of us all have felt, there's like a climax coming of this revolution and like that sticker that's floating around the Northern, uh, the Northern Rivers, the revolution is love. <laughs> and um, it all comes back to, again, what we were talking about before with, you know, growing food you wish to enjoy and share with your family and friends. And it's just one of the most rewarding things as we've both experienced by bringing down things or bringing around things that we've grown. And um, it's amazing when you are seeing like some seeds that flourish and others that perish. Um, it shows us that living in this sort of harmony, like seeds, they're like us and we need water, sun and love to survive and to serve. And there's one of my... And funny, oxygen. And oxygen. We need oxygen. Clean oxygen, please. Keep some trees. We need the big mama trees. 
And, you know, as one of my farming friends once told me in the paddock, he's like, yeah, you could study something or you could get a bit more practical and JFD it, which is just fucking do it. Mm, that's it. <laughs> Learn on the run. Yeah. Should we spark this thing up and see where the convo takes us, mate? Definitely. We've got time. We haven't even, uh, we haven't even started on your, your surfing journey. I'm interested to tap in because Poochie was a hardcore gong boog and turned boog photog and you actually landed a fucking you know a significant amount of spreads uh both in the the, the bodyboarding media and the surf media uh mate talk to us a bit about your early you, you've been surfing for eight years or longer now no since i've been up here so it's been six years six years and stick. surfing good man it's been interesting to see you surf actually and see the the understanding of like just wave positioning, knowledge, wave yes. knowledge and positioning and, and and getting on boards that enable you to get in early and draw a nice line through hollow waves. For a guy who's been surfing six years, the barrels I've seen you get, it's mind melting <laughs> and, and, and on proper like waves of coniquence. Yes. But they were some magical moments. Yeah, we've had some magical goes. moments together. <laughs> But going back to um, the, early the origins of this, yeah, man. Like, yeah. talk us, talk, talk to us about the bodyboarding scene in the oh. part of the world you grew up in because it's fucking core as fuck. It's you know, they, these guys pioneered, discovered a lot of the waves that are now absolutely clogged with people. Yeah. The missions are iconic, like the fucking the hatchback missions. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, camping out, lying down in your car seat. Yeah, it was a, such an awesome time to immerse in and, you know, in those earlier stages of booging, you know, um, living in Wollongong, it's this filtered goldmine of fun, slabby waves. And I think because my brother and his friend were on the boog and, and we were pretty well going just to slabs, that was like my choice of craft. So it just fell under me and away we went booging, you know, and down the North Gong and, you know, around and down at is near the fucking coal stacks it was, it was just comical you know that old wave machine we used to hang down there tell us about i mean uh, it's we might bleep the name out yes. but just tell us about the setup because it's one of the most unique waves on the planet it's a really interesting yeah dynamics when you enter that place because it's a bit of a like rabbit warren to get into and you wouldn't really know that that's the way to get through or whether you're allowed you know and so and it was a bit of a place where before we even had our licenses, we would just get dropped there, you know, the classic Grom days of just, all right, whose parents are dropping us in in the morning and who's going to pick us up, you know, and some days we'd be down there, yeah, from dusk or dawn till dusk, you know, and it was an enjoyable time in that big fucking wave generator that they try to create uh, for hydrogen uh, energy and this thing was like the size of a mansion, just it was actually positioned quite far out to sea but it got washed in you know and then it became so this, this was actually meant to suck in wave energy yeah well it was it had this huge turbine and this and it actually hummed it went you know and while you were surfing it yeah because it, how fucked up cosmic ironic is that that it failed to generate wave energy but then kind of did generate conical wave energy yeah it did and it made Boys some... were getting slotted off the wave machine yeah. <laughs> before wave pools almost were existing this little thing with, or huge magnificent um thing was just yeah creating these fun little wedges and so the sand would build up against this machinery that had washed in yeah. from outside and create a mental little left bank. edge or, or yeah. just good banks it was very diverse in moments you know and the, the banks shifted quite a lot there you know but it was 
funny where it was positioned and when you would look to shore, yeah, you would see these fucking huge coal stack pyramids, which from my early days of, you know, um, landscapes and shooting in the water and, and photographing these scenes, it was quite like appealing in a way. But then when I heard of the destruction it was causing to our planet, it was a bit less enjoyable to see, you know, which is funny to like, again, move up here and learn that that's what was really happening down there. But before it was just like part of the environment, you know, in itself. But yeah, some of the missions we would go on uh, chasing waves, it was pretty iconic. And and who were the big boogs around there at the time? Oh, the big boogs. <laughs> like when I first started booging, um, you know, like the, the Zion boys, like Mad Dog and Katesy and, you know, the Big Dav and just some of those boys that were just ripping in and, and, and uh finners you know like it was funny to like meet a, a bit of an older generation who were like inspiring our younger you know grommets that were just filtered through that whole region and it was pretty cool to just be a witness of that and like yet yeah, some days riding down before school I'd you know enjoy a ride down it was probably an hour to ride you know so I'd wake up at dawn and ride down to see if it was worthy to maybe sneak a day off school and slide into a couple cylinders you know Greggy was cool with that and Greggy was pretty supportive of that Fucking I, I dare say on, you, Greggy. on the, the Greggy man. bones and uh, even when I did have the chance to get my license it was awesome because I then had just acquired um, a housing and picked up the camera and wanted to yeah tap into capturing some moments in the water because I'd been riding motorbikes and I'd grown out all my gear and I was like, you know what, maybe I'd hang the motor up for a bit and invest my time and creative energy into something, you know, that's going to um, capture these moments in time. And that was yeah, another fun journey that Greggy again supported me through. And, you know, it was funny some mornings or evenings I would, you know, hit him up and say, you know, Greggy, it's going to be pretty pumping down the south coast. Should we uh, do a dawny and I have the day off and I get some hours up on the L's and he was fully, yeah, up for it. So up to him and appreciate the team that came with me and, uh, yeah, push those uh, levels of experiences to chase the curl and shoot the boogs and the mm. surfers. Yeah, talk to us about shooting. So because uh, you ended up getting a bunch of shots run over the years in a variety of publications, talk us through some of your most iconic photos Yeah, so they, and, and where they got run. Well, one of the um, first ones that actually um, entered the tangible side of a print, which we used to all love and still do love, you know, seeing those prints in action. And um, I went on a mission with just two brothers down and we arrived real early and uh, it looked pretty small and we were still hopeful, you know, just frothing to be down there. And I thought, oh, we'll see how it looks when we get out there. And we got out there and... The boys jumped in first and I set up the housing and it actually looked like we were pretty on. And mm. um, yeah, we've seen some pretty sweet tubes running through and the this boys... Is, and this wave is like a, an iconic boog slab that in the last 10 years maybe, surfers have started to surf and surf mm. really well and get really fucking tubed out there. Totally. You, you, this is the, the right, the same yes, wave? Yeah, yes, yes. Like, so you, you rust yurks and uh, yeah... I guess yeah, Clayotons have turned it into a fine art, but get often uh, absolutely fucking lit up out there like yeah. a Christmas tree. It's, <laughs> it's a heavy it is, wave. It is. Well, you, you talk about Pioki and, you know, that was the first time I'd um, ever seen him come out in, in, the, in the surf and he came out with an older brother, Paul Morgan, and, yeah, they ended up sliding into a couple, but Berkey's first wave... He just went straight over and snapped his board and went, he was in. You know, I didn't even see him re-enter because he must not have had another one. But, yeah, thinking back, that was 
40 uh, 10 years ago, you know, so it's like amazing to think, yeah, on that day, there was just us and for the whole day, there wouldn't have been more than a handful of surfers out, which was pretty special to experience. And by the time my bros had gone in, actually, I stayed out because I was just frothing on how the elements were still just so pumping. And we linked up on a couple um, nice tubes, Paul Morgan and I, and he actually hit me up and was just like, oh, bro, I'd love to see them. And, you know, I was still early days and I thought, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, oh, um, email them to you, you know, and yeah, he ended up hitting me up and I sent him across and then he actually asked if um, he could like show them to some friends. And I thought, oh, yeah, like, you know, that's cool. Like before Instagram and Facebook, I think was still out, but, you know, like um, he was just going to, I thought, just show some friends through that. And then uh, tracks actually ended up contacting me and asked me for the roar and we're pretty frothing to run that as a double. So that was a pretty uh, nice moment to, yeah, just connect with a brother I hadn't yet met and to have him share it with his friends who were actually in connection with tracks and for them to write up like a little article on him and with the photo, it was, yeah, pretty special. Sick. Yeah, what an icon. What a fucking legend of the game down there. The yes. But, yeah, it's a funny... Um, part of you know the whole transition of you know for me being a booger um not really surfing at that point but shooting both um crafts enjoying the elements it was just an enjoyable thing you know and at that time the brothers I went down with um actually surfed and that was like the first um mate that I actually started shooting who surfed shout out to the Kurt Splurt, Love Grove, shaping down at the CLS Bay. With How do you get the nickname Dil Kurt the Splurt? Oh, mate, he just slashes that water like a hot knife through butter. Ah. <laughs> just, you know, airman. He's an airman. True. Loves the airs, loves the tubes, and just a full frother on life, you know. I really love that, brother. So sending you the love, bro. And, um, yeah, it was cool to just yeah be on the chase with him, you know. I think in those times um, I was just so keen for it and – we would wake up like at, you know, four o'clock and some days even earlier just to get down there for first light and the walk-in and be all set up. And, yeah, it was a pretty cool time to tap into and, like, even seeing him, like, progress on the on the stick and, like, with um, the boys from Zion, you know, they were uh, sponsoring one of my bros, Todd Mack, and he was ripping on the boog in those days and a handful of other brothers, you know, just absolutely tearing the bag on the boog and, paying respects to what kind of waves are we talking like like what what's like uh par for the course you know like semi-pro boog world in the oh well like we can name the waves you can just because <laughs> we'll just bleep them out but. yeah the places well that brother was from Marilla, so shout out to the real pack that was a funny <laughs> funny pack to be involved with and they held zone, it down home of the Warilla grillers home of some mental slabs home of alexander volkanovsky the uh current ufc lightweight champion of the world wow what a lord that's amazing. But yeah. Wonder if Volkanovsky packed a couple on the boot. Surely. <laughs> surely. He surely packed a couple at Prats. Yes. The Prats. Gorilla Gorilla in his fucking footy shorts <laughs> with one flipper. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Just knifing one. Doing a couple El Rolos. Knifing one head first into the barnacle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> oh, it's so good though, like to see all those places and like same for, um, you know, my mate who was on the stick, you know, breaking down the 
the stigma around surfers and boogers being so against each other because I found it so ironic that there was this tension, you know, always brewing of like, oh, fucking boogers, oh, fucking I think it's like I think the tension's up here more, eh? I think it's like a, a point break thing. I yes. think like on the But it was still very sl- South Coast driven in the early days. Like well, there, there was, was beef there, you reckon? There was a little bit of beef, brother. In all honesty, the tension felt like in moments it was going to get revved up. And, uh, you know, you would cop slack if you're on the boog from mm. some surfers who are, you know, some old locals who think they're, you know, been there since the day dot and that's that. So, mm. you know, you just got to dance with it though. And, you know, I think uh, what I found real iconic was uh, my mate Kurt, you know, surfing, but like starting to tap into these more like trade boog slabs and trying to like, you know, work them out and, and have fun with them and doing his airs and stuff. Um you know, intrigued the the brothers at Zion who were, you know, only actually at that time hooking the the, the rubber to the boog scene, you know, and it was huge. Like all the boogers loved it, and um, I think that was a cool thing where him jumping on with those boys, you know, planted that first seed for surfers and boogers to start mixing together, you know, and then before you know it, it's been over yeah almost ten years now or like a bit under, and yeah, you know, like all these big wigs are now hunting ways with these boogers you know and having fun having laughs and you know like just seeing the crew down at Bali that day and just hanging out having a spliffy with some of the crew and you know it's just cool to see that that stigma is now like just fully dropped you know and there's Mm. nothing that can stop it now it's just like boogers are now respected and same for the surfers and everyone's just having fun together on whatever crafts whether it's finless whether it's four fins whether it's three whether it's boog and whether it's you know surfing on a boog you know like it's just endless endless fun totally and in that realm like the waves are heavy enough that i don't know how many of them do you want in a day like you know what i mean <laughs> totally like if, if you if you're the kind of guy who wants to suck up and send it on like a an eight foot like heaving slab like you know, most people are going to give you the shot at that wave. Like, you're going to get the shot at that wave if you really want it. Don't you reckon? Yeah, cool. yeah. The, the, the windows are definitely need a respectable as in those days. Not that yeah, I'd surf that shit. That's it's <laughs> fucking loose. Like, it really is. And you got to be a very skilled waterman to be able to navigate those kinds of conditions. Like, regardless of what craft you you're riding. Totally. <laughs> Much respect to the team for keeping the dream alive, mate. We had an interesting <laughs> trip down there. Um, didn't yeah, we just? Very interesting. We were hanging out with some very fucking interesting crew and we watched some very fucking wild surfing go down. Well, you did. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was pretty cosmic. Uh, South Coast voyage. First voyage down with the uh, Lord Bags, which was super... They went off. Oh, it Mate. was pretty cosmic to see how... Uh, the car parks and they can just hold anything like you've got your little mull tin in there you got your weddy you got maybe your like fruit, your water. Some water fruit yeah pack um, it stack it sit yeah. in it if you don't even want to get out of your weddy when you're driving to the next you spot. have your lappy in there too like you, i'm swinging around smashing it off shit, and it's style. pretty durable that's it bro so yeah, yeah it was your cool cbd to... oil your thc oil your fucking uh your groil your you know <laughs> all the works. goods mm. whatever you want to put in it it's there for you. But, um, mate, uh, talk to us about the session at the Bommie that you mm. watched. Uh, the great 
fucking Viking Lockie Rambouts just <laughs> living large and just. That was a cosmic uh, oh, 24 hours, I dare say. Sucking down on the nectar of life, just <laughs> stuffing his face in the most golden vision. Cylinders. The biggest. Can you imagine the vision in that thing? What that would have looked like? What it would have felt like. What it would have like, felt like the perfect squirt. And I love that he's just got no chamber. No ego and just love and life and happy to share it with everyone. That's the beautiful part about the big lock. And, you know, yeah. only meeting yep. him the night before that session, uh, he came around to the to the Milton pad, the Buddhist temple. Yeah. The pilgrimage zone. Yeah, dude. And, um, this, is a cl- this, this joint... This joint was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a mecca, if you will. <laughs> and uh, just down the road, the pilgrims were just up the road, sorry. That's it. Pilgrims just up the road from the mecca opposite the, 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 the Buddhist temple. The Buddhist temple. There was a triangle of energy there. Yeah, and the, the fucking, the energy was strong, energy was high, it was committed. The and boys were living an insanely tapped in lifestyle, all revolving around just packing. The Tubes. fucking craziest, biggest pits. On the, the craziest, biggest boards biggest you can possibly ride. Loose surfing and super dangerous. Like, fuck, if you get clipped by one of those boards, you're done for. Like, you're done for, man. Literally. It's a skull crushing. It's going to break you. It would knock it's me gonna into gonna the next realm. <laughs> yeah, it's going to knock you into the next realm. And they are packing it, dude. And they are also jumping out of the lip. Yes. Because that's just what happens when you do, do any kind of surfing. When it's it hollow, man, every you session, you're going to pay the, pay pay the piper tax at some point. Surfers tax. Yeah. And but, it's a big tax they pay. But for yes, a big reward. The biggest reward. <laughs> and only sometimes 25, 30 seconds. <laughs> but it can feel like a lifetime, which is what's so magical. Talk us through the one, uh, or talk us through the session and, and the wave. Oh, the session. It was such a beautiful voyage down, eh? Like uh, the big Dano, shout out to that brother. He was, uh, you know, frothing just, the to, just to make a slow but steady pace down that mm. morning. And we did a whim in the morning, the shower, cold shower. And, uh, Mate, of- Dane Fisher is so tapped in. Another full beans and brown rice eight pack fucking... <laughs> Love all brother. day meditating, all day hoffing, all day spliffing, all yes. day fucking reading cosmic texts and writing. The manuscript, man. The manuscript, man. Oh. And just training to pack it, to yes. pack the mondo to pack fucking the mondo. cone, yeah. the mortal cone. And it it's was, iconic. It was my melting to yeah jump on that voyage with him because we just slowly but surely yeah, arrived and um, it was insane because... The big lock had actually had, uh, that was his eighth day of paying, you know, the Jews there. And uh, he was just still feeling it. And as soon as we rocked up, just witnessing a handful throw down, it was looking like it was still on. And actually super just tight crew, only the lock and the big Ollie. Shout out to that brother. Mate. Ollie. yeah. Yeah. What a fucking... It's hard to describe. It's madness. Yeah, it is madness what he's up to. It's fucking artfully done madness. It's it's mental. <laughs> he's, he's, he, like, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. It is. And they he's were just out it. there and I seen him get one each and I thought... How fit and ripped and like tr- just highly attuned is yes. Ollie and like all of them. Yeah, they, and that's the thing. They're Ultimate, all radiating like, off each other because they're just, in. you know pursuing that love for big wave tubes 
and they're both or all of them are just this like three amigos with everyone else who wants to join you know and to see them together it's just so funny they're all just revving each other up and frothing each other out and yeah when we've seen just those two out there and uh packing some big tubes i thought all right i'll set up the housing and i'll probably paddle out and then i seen like two go down i thought oh i've got the other camera i might as well set up we're parked up perfect prime angle just get a couple quick clippies and um yeah hit record on this one of Locke and he just absolutely knifed in a beautiful line into mama's open hollow cosmic <laughs> vortex and uh just pretty well got engulfed and then was allowed out and just big breath of it fresh air just <sighs> and away he was and just appeared out yeah. of the mist the best thing is we'll post this on our instagram so you can actually see Cop the it. clip yes <laughs> and it's funny because um during that session and seeing those two hours seeing one brother in the channel i thought oh that brother looks like he might be shooting and i couldn't see who it really was and then um when the boys came in and i didn't even see that brother came in because he's just full doing his thing and then uh when they came in i was i hadn't even met ollie actually so it was another re you know, reunion with another brother and it was so funny just to be all frothing out from that session and then you know only meeting Locke the night before and Lockie was just like looking at the footage and he was just like bro that's probably like top three waves of my life eh he's mm. like I'm mm. so grateful that you were here just to mm. capture that Fucking and I'm up. like it was funny because I was thinking oh, I should have jumped in the water and then I found out it was actually the brother Katie in the water on the tools with the Lord bag, packing film and digi realm and capturing the water angle of that wave. So he's got also, the water angle of that wave. I was seeing it the other day and wow. it's unbelievable. Wow. And That's obviously insane. that so wizard put some music and made this mad track to it too. Oh, so he's got the clip. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, wow, 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 wow. That's fucking skits. Yeah, man. the big lock sent it to me the other day. He's like, yes. oh, check this out. And yes. I was like, oh, yes, bro. It's all coming together. Fuck. Oh, as long as it's seen, yeah, it's oh, got to be seen this way. It will. It, it's, it's one of the all-time <laughs> best rides out there, I think, that I've seen. Totally. Think, uh, it's a, it, it's the, the thing is... The craziest thing about it is the wave is like it's a thick lump, but it, it it's like it only looks kind of four foot or so. There's like a, an, I guess because he's on that big board, he's able to Early chip in entry. to the first very shape of the wave. Eh? It's when not it even just, just wedges a lump. up, it's yeah. just a lump, and the thing just draws so much water off the reef, and he's perfectly positioned. And it's just like almost like a, a backless. It's backless to begin with and it goes 10 foot. Yeah. And Packs. this thing just goes from four foot to 10 foot, but it just go, does it in a way that the, it's like a sinkhole. Yeah, it's a fucked up orb, man. One it's of the greats. black hole. Eh? Yeah, yeah, in my mind. And that early morning sun. Magical. And the, the elements all come together for that. And just like, the, like getting blown out of something like that. Yeah, and there was such a cosmic whirl, like a spiral of life in this spit. Like when you watch it, I haven't seen a wave, you know, spit like that probably in my life. Like, and to witness it, you know, fully reading, like, and they like the spiral of life, you know, I was like, whoa, that is just 
cosmic, <laughs> full cosmic whirlpool of just sea mist. And he just is immersed in it and then just comes out. So, yeah, that was probably one of the yeah all-time sessions on that uh, seven-week voyage down there. And um, still some other absolute missed omissions. Um, with the big Dano and the Marvs, we actually scored some pretty all-time zero. Uh, with uh, mm. no one out, couldn't believe it on on over that huge week of just relentless heavy big waves mm. for everyone, and um, there was just windows everywhere, you know, Fully. for everyone. So it was it's, and that's what the beauty is of the South Coast and down around there. Like there's just so much to offer, and um, and you know, still I w- that session we had together where you know it was pretty all time we thought it was almost washing through and um making that voyage through there and i hadn't even surfed there until yeah, that was a that cosmic realm mm. and a heavy wave yeah and we got fucking lit served up. absolutely lit up <laughs> we got served. what was it one doolan energy one doolan energy the, the local uh the the local sister indigenous uh folklore was that uh there was this indigenous a man who was a, a womanizer? Yeah, or he was just he got, playing a bit of a muck in the mob and then he got he a got bit shafted. Thrown out. He got and thrown he out of his the, mob. Went to the like escarpment or to the cliffs there, but didn't jump, but somehow just became these volatile storms. Exactly. And became this energy in the storm. Yeah, and, and that's I, I what guess was we there were that day. fucking heavily spliffed and there was maybe even a couple of microdoses in the mix. And we rocked up at the slab and there was a couple of groms from Marubra. And they were uh, fucking having a crack, couple of uh, couple of sticks and a couple of boogs, just groms like nineteen, and uh, just fucking high tide and long period waves of a significant size, like some crazy shit can happen, some weird shit, like you know the stuff you kind of see in uh, in cloud breaking that that classic twenty twelve swell, you know, it yes. kind of like it was just like a slow high motion, tide. just yeah. big, super long period, super big, goes fl- it goes flat for, for a twenty bit. minutes, yeah, twenty minutes long, and then the fucking mother of all waves comes through and just <laughs> lights you up on the head, it, and that's what happened to us. So, you know, it was probably like a, a ten foot a 10 foot like by eight foot kind of slab, like eight foot wide, six foot wide, like yeah. the, the, the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Like <laughs> probably yeah. like 10 foot by six foot or I don't know. It was fucking so big and square and we were sitting on the takeoff spot and it landed like we were sitting on the takeoff spot and we started paddling for the shore from the, the, the what we thought was the back of the ledge. Like it broke, it sucked. So far out, it eh? It broke so, back, so far back on the ledge and sucked so much water off that it ended up just breaking like 20 or 30 metres further out to sea and that was just insane. flogging us and, and washed us for like 100 metres like into past the, the slab into, into this bay. And yeah, we were, it was just huge bits of foam that were immediately created by the impact. Remember the that chop. foam? Yeah, the chop well, when we were sitting instant, on the inside. Like, the ocean filled up with disappearing foam? from moments and like yeah, you were only 30 metres away and I was just like, that was uh, a full life. experience. We're alive. I was yeah. like, whoa, man. I thought I was, I had like a bit of an ego death where I was yeah, like, you said that. I was, it was super psychedelic um, where, you know, that sense that you thought you knew what was possible and then suddenly you realize you know nothing. 
you know nothing of what's possible so much more is possible than what your tiny human brain can comprehend it's kind (laughs) of like what the floods were in a sense and yeah this cop getting lit up on the head was a similar experience like mother nature is so much more fucking skits than you'd ever imagine (laughs) yeah but it was well worth it because i Far out. Some of those waves that we all got before that full washer were pretty. Yeah, all you time. got a couple, man. You did really well on a on a what was it like a seven six eight oh eight oh vouch twitch. Oh, the magic board. carpet rug by Shout the Hutcho. Ev Ev and the Hutcho and the Hutcho wizardry behavior. Hutcho is the wizard. He's a wizard. Yeah, interesting story. My surfing would be nowhere without that. Hutcho's part of the like original Morning of the Earth crew. Um, well, I, I didn't even know that day. That's yeah, insane. Yeah, I think he was on that trip with Steve Cooney and Albie to Bali and Rusty Miller. And uh, yeah, he's just been a part of the game for that entire time, shaping incredible boards the entire yes. time. Tapping crew. I man. guess he's making a bunch for Vouch now, but yeah. highly recommended. Um, yeah, man. And I, I fucking learned that that was, yeah, that was when I, I saw you, man, the, the boog line on the stick. I was yes. like, yeah, this is classic. Cause I only ever knew you from up here. And then traveling with you, I was like, I, I learned a lot from you and the boys on that trip, man. It was sick, you know, younger crew as well. And, and to be just in so, that inspired uh, and, and, you know, yeah, motivated to, to stay on track and mm. all, it was all positivity, man. Just all love, all frothing. frothing, but yeah. like taking the piss too. Taking the piss, no Fully ego. taking the piss. Just spliffing up, smiling spliffing up, and laughing at it. all the cosmic tests that we get put through. Yeah, you know? yeah, like, yeah. It's Feels just good. iconic. And, and just the, you know, just the consciousness to continually give thanks. Mm, totally. Know, that's something you're really good at. You're always saying thank you to... Uh, the divine nature of things, the yes. what the order, the, provider, the, the flow, whatever the, the provider, the god, the guide. Mm. Yeah, just when it, when things are it's going good. It's a ducky Yeah, you know that whole philosophy. It's so yeah, empowering for what you're, we're putting in ourselves and what we're sharing with our brothers mm. and sisters. You know, and and just actually slowly enjoying like what we're truly ingesting, and then that energy we get and the build up and that creative urge that comes from that is then again just so empowering for your physical, mental, spiritual self to just feel almost limitless, you know, in a way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I'm sufficiently pickled. I've had a great chat with you today, Poochie. Same to you, Jedariah. It's been um, spliffful. It's been very spliffful and uh, very grateful for the opportunity have you on the potty it's gonna be weird now because we're gonna turn this off and it'll just be like <laughs> we were this. hanging out <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we hang out most afternoons yeah yeah interesting well peace love, peace, love and, and mungreens brother to the tubes peace love and paleo bro oh yes peace love and paleo chattahoochee organic keep it organic don't panic keep it organic don't panic limit your chronic you gotta be kidding me you're kidding me you're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Are you kidding me
gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You have got to be fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?